the last several weeks, we have been walking up the mountain with Jesus, sitting down to hear Him teach us. This is my second time running through the Sermon on the Mount together with with you, this church. Um, And I I think it's good to come back to the mountain again and again and again, because this is where we ought to live. We ought to live in the teachings of Jesus. We need to live by the teachings of Jesus. When all the people who weren't all that committed to Him walked off, He turned to His apostles and said, do you want to leave too? And they said to Him, where else would we go? Lord, you have the words of life. This is the stuff that they were talking about. This new life that He breathes into us by His Word. And hasn't it been beautiful again? Isn't it good to come back to it again, again, again? Because I need to hear it again, don't you? Because He says some crazy stuff, doesn't He? I mean, when He says things like, I say to you, don't get angry. Anyone who loses their temper with someone is in danger of the fires of hell. How many of y'all, how many of us this week have put ourselves in dangers of hellfire according to that? Lose your temper with anybody ever? Did you ever get tested? And that alone is a little spooky, isn't it? But he goes on, doesn't he? You know, lust. If you you look at a woman to lust after, you've already done the adultery thing. That's crazy hard to avoid in this culture that uses sex to sell everything from deodorant to bar soap to candy bars. Yeah, it's, it's all over the place. A distorted, broken sexuality, including inside of our homes and our marriages. How many, how many of us look at that and say, yeah, that's easy. Relationship like Jesus calls us to with the kind of permanence that Jesus calls us to, the kind of waiting for marriage and then staying in marriage that Jesus calls us to. How many of us find that easy? <laughs> and then the kind of radical truth-telling that He calls for us to do. You know, that, that we don't take oaths. Because why do people take oaths? Because they want, I bet the devil in my head, that car will run another 100,000 miles. You know, it's a lemon. I took the oath in order to get you to buy the lemon. I packed it with sawdust. Buy it. It'll last at least, you know, a little while. Telling the truth will disadvantage us so often. It's so hard to do, right? Always to live in the truth, even the truth that cuts against me, even the truth that hurts me. Why would I tell that truth? Jesus is crazy. Or turning the other cheek, it's going to get you a high dental bill. Walking the second mile just gets you tired. And yet, and yet he seems to think that, that we should live in absolute non-retaliation and that we respond to evil with kindness and goodness. Anybody think this stuff is easy? And just as the capstone of all of his ethics, he gives you love your enemy, which... That's an oxymoron. If I loved them, why would they be my enemy? Stuff is so hard to do. Why be spiritual if there's no public benefit to it? If no one admires me for my spirituality, what good is my spirituality? Because you don't see anything when you behave spiritually. It's an empty waste of time if you do it by yourself. You're supposed to build up some sort of community, some sort of admiration. Why do this junk? And don't worry, are you kidding? Have you watched the stock market lately? I haven't. I have no idea what it's doing right now. I understand it had kind of a rough week yesterday, last week or something. I don't know. You know what? Are you kidding? Don't worry. What if I run out of money before I run out of life? Of course I should worry and don't judge. And if everything else that he's talking about is easy, that one's hard, isn't it? Because I need to make sure that I'm safe. I need to make sure that I'm right. And once I've made sure that I'm right and I'm safe, I need to make sure that you are too. And by making sure that boundary is cleanly and clearly there, I have to judge you in order to make sure that's there. And that's the only way that I make sure that I stay in and maybe you stay out and I don't care. (sighs) These teachings are so hard. How on earth do we do them? We don't on earth. You can't. 
You can't do it. At least, I mean, maybe I should just speak for myself. I can't do that. I look at what, what Jesus is calling me to, and I see the impossibility of it. And I don't see the impossibility of it ahead of time. I see it when I reflect on the week. And I look back over how I actually behaved, and I take an assessment of myself. The one person I'm meant to actually judge, the only heart to which I have at least some interior access. And I look into that thing, and I see what's going on inside of me, and I see the resentments, and I see the bitterness, I see the anger, I see the drivenness, and I look at it and I go, oh God, help me. Am I alone in that? When I measure myself against other people, which is why he has to tell us not to judge, because that is so much fun. You know, if I just measure myself, if I set myself up as the standard and I measure myself against other people, I usually can find people where I come out okay. I may be bad, but I'm not doing that. But when I measure myself against the teachings of the Christ, when I measure myself against the heart of Almighty God, I see just how very very broken I am, and I run into my absolute inability to do what Jesus has called me to. And yet, I have found the places where I am. I've seen the moments, beautiful shining moments, where I actually live Christianly. You know what makes the difference between the inability and the ability? The help of God. Because when I turn to God, I find the capacity for obedience is is suddenly in me. It's not in me because of me. It's in me because of Him. God enables and empowers obedience in the Christian. If you want to obey, you will have to spend time with God. And the moment that you most need to spend time with God is the moment of your great disobedience. When someone smacks you on the cheek, you're going to need help from God at that moment. If you want to be able to turn the other cheek and you call on willpower to do it, hey, man, it's crapshoot. You roll the dice. You know, because human willpower is not nothing or nobody would depend on it. Sometimes your willpower might be able to get you to do the right thing, but not always. And I would say the odds are a whole lot worse than the roll of a dice. Most of the time somebody hits us in the face and our human will's response to that is, oh no, you didn't. You wait until I'm done with you, buddy. And the odds might be against me right now, but trust me, I'm going home. I'm evening out the odds. Coming back with something armed. That's the human spirit. And we blow, and I did that with one of Jesus' teachings, and I can do it with all of them. We can't do it alone. Which is why Jesus has got to encourage us and remind us, you are not alone. And if you want to live Christianly, hear the Gospel of God. Jesus Christ has poured out the Holy Spirit and is present in His people today. He is not a story far away. He is a present reality. And I know He's there in every moment when I live a discipled life. Because I know what's in me. I know where I get by just reason and willpower alone. But I also know whom I believe it. And I'm persuaded He's able. He's able. I'm not, but He is. And so He helps you. And here's the bad news of the Bible story. It starts badly, doesn't it? I mean, it starts beautifully with creation. Those creation stories are wonderful. They are gorgeous. You know, filled with all the rivers and the, and the wonderful garden and all of the animals. Beautiful stuff. And then there's the food poisoning narrative where everything just goes wrong, right? What do they do right after they eat? Their eyes are opened up and what do they do? They have been given the knowledge of good and evil and immediately they use it to assess themselves and to assess God. They assess themselves and see that they are naked and they decide that's bad. And realize 
God's the one that made them and left them naked. He did not share that assessment, so they were wrong. By the way, that's not an, an assessment of we should all be nudists. It, I'm not saying that. God gave them clothes. They were right after the fall. But prior to the fall, they were wrong. They should not have been have assessed their nakedness as a bad thing. But they looked at themselves and they're like, I'm bad. And then they looked at God, or they thought about God, and they said, I have to hide from that. And that's what humanity's been doing ever since. In fact, every time we try to go it alone, we are doing it from the place of shadows, from the place within the trees, inside the bushes, where we are hiding our nakedness, hiding our shame, and trying to be good on our own. With Adam, we run away. And that's why Christ must come and remind us of something that somewhere deep down inside of us, we really ought to know. I think some part of us does know it because the moment it's spoken to us, we go, well, yeah. And that's this wondrous secret. God is good. God is not the threat you face. God is your hope. God is your salvation. God is your protector. God is your fortress. God is your song. He is your Redeemer and your Savior and your friend. And God is the one toward whom you must take your sins. You must come to Him with all of your weakness and all of your shame and all of your inability and come to Him and say, I can't do anything with this. And then listen to what He says to you. Because what He says to you is, well, come here, kiddo. You're my kid. You know that? Let me help you out with this. As Jesus begins to, to round third base and is headed towards home in His sermon, you know, just before he, he gives His summary statement of the whole thing, and then before He offers the invitation where He says, there's room up here, you can come as we stand and sing, just before he gets to that point, he says, I've got this one last thing to convince you of. I have given you unbelievable teaching. It's wonderful. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's gorgeous. But your inability is going to take all of that beautiful teaching and turn it into bad news unless you believe this. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Because everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, the door is open. What is he talking about there? Well, that is not some sort of standalone, you know, some sort of statement that he's like, hey, let me just throw this out here universally. That everyone, He's talking in the context of this sermon that he's just been giving. And so when he says, ask, what on earth do you think is in his mind and in the mind of the audience? Look, if you hear this thing as it just flows out of Jesus and it just comes in, in one piece all together, then as you're hearing this stuff and you're listening to Him, you're listening and in, in thinking about your own heart, you're going, love my enemy? Forgive or I won't be forgiven? But I don't want to forgive. And I don't want to pray for them. Don't you know what they're doing to me? I don't want to do this stuff. That is what you ask about. Because the disciple comes to the Lord with his inability or her powerlessness and comes to the Lord and says, I have to ask you for something because you told me to do this and I can't. I know I'm supposed to and I want to want to. The truth is, I don't want to. Can you please help me? And do you honestly think that there's any soul that God would hear that from and go, hey, good luck, buddy. I gave you everything. You got what you need. It's on you now, dude. Good luck. Uh-uh. You ask for help with a broken relationship. You ask for help with an imprisoned will. You ask for help with an addicted soul. You ask for help with your evil. You ask and you will receive. It's a promise from the one you're talking to when you ask. You say, absolutely, I will help you with this. 
I absolutely would. I'm too weak. Yeah, but I'm not. And you ask the right person. Ask. Ask and I'll help you to forgive. Ask and I'll help you to love your enemy. Ask and I'll give it to you. I can't find the way. Search. Don't give up the search. I can't find my good heart. Seek for it. Because I'm going to help you find it. Whose door are you knocking on when you pray? The door is opened up. Like that's not a universal promise of, you know, ask and you'll receive a pony. No, that's not what he's talking about. Anybody else here ever ask for a fire truck for Christmas? And you, you ask Santa, but then just to make sure that you covered the bases, you also prayed about it. And then Christmas morning came and there's no fire truck. And you said, I ask and I'll receive, and I didn't get it, so I ain't believing nothing. Look, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the kind of soul you have. Ask for that. Knock, and he will say, come in and spend time with me. Do you honestly think he wastes the time when you spend time with him? Well, what kind of person is he? You know, there's a lot of people that don't know the answer to that. They think God is a pretty bad dude. You know? And, I mean, for a lot of us, the word father doesn't help all that much. I don't know what kind of father you had. I have, I've buried two now. Both really great, both kind of confusing men, you know, with their share of wonder and brokenness all wrapped up together. But too often, I think that word father is used for people like me who have had challenges with their fatherhood, either in being father, because goodness knows I've faced some of those. Man, there are times when I am so glad you cannot see how I practice my fatherhood, because I look back on them and I'm like, well, we got to fix that, poor kid. And then the times when I spend time reflecting on the kind of man that my father was, and I'm supposed to take that to God. I think in our heart of hearts, we know that he wore that label because your father is supposed to be, whether he was or not, your father is supposed to be the one who is most for you in this whole world. The one who goes, yeah, this is my kid, and I'm going to stand between you and the arrows. Let him shoot me, not you. I'm going to protect and help you. But at the same time, they stand behind you and go, really? That's what you're going to do? Uh-uh, no, you carry my name and I expect more of you than that. And I'm going to help you to grow up. Come on. They're both fatherhood things. The absolute salvation and protection and the absolute encouragement to maturity. That's why He calls Himself Father. And that's what good fathers do, isn't it? And so that's why Jesus says, which of you, if your kid asks for bread, would you give him a stone? Or, or if he asks for a fish, would you give him a serpent? I pack my lunch for I pack the lunch for my son every day. You know, I make a sandwich and some chips and an apple, throw it all together into a bag, send him off to school with it. Wouldn't it be hilarious? Wouldn't it just be great if one of those days I, I found and like, like put it to sleep, a black mamba, you know, and I wrap that thing up, most poisonous snake in the world, put it to sleep, stuck it in his bag with a toxin that'll wear off right around lunchtime. That would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Because he opens up the bag and it's going to jump out at him, like, you know, out of the bag of peanuts, you know, and you open up and he comes springing out and it's poisonous and it's going to kill him. Ah, no. Kind of a father would do junk like that. Oh, this is great. Son, yes, here's your bread. We're going to the dentist, honey. <laughs> Here you go, eat up. No, no, nobody does that. Nobody does that. C.S. Lewis once made the point that, you know, that the father will not give us a stone if we ask for bread, but he might give us uh, a stone if we insist that that stone is really bread and he should give it to us. He might go, okay, you know, try it out. But I honestly, I'm not sure why I brought that up because I think it misses the point. The point is that God is good and he gives good to, I mean, you know how to do it. You know how, you know what love compels you to do? It's all a reflection of the kind of person that your father is. Every good thing that you're able to do for somebody else, you're able to do it because you reflect God. And he's saying, God, if you, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. 
Won't your heavenly Father give to those who ask? He's going to give you the good heart you want if you interact with Him. He's your hope for goodness. It is not your mind. It is not your willpower. You can't get there on your own. There is a bridge too far. If you could, Judaism is perfect for that. You don't need this, but you can't. But there is a good, good Father who says, you come, you spend time with Me, and I will rub off on you. I gave My Holy Spirit to sit within you. What is it doing in there? Vacationing? No, there are better places to go than inside the fallen human heart. He is in there to transform who you are. And when you come and you knock and you say, will you spend time with me? He says, absolutely, kiddo, come in. Let me brew the tea. Let's sit down together and let me help you. I will sort all this out with you. And I will give you the want to that you can't seem to generate on your own. And that's gospel, is it not? That's good news. Here it is in the sermon of Jesus Christ. He's invited you into a way of life that is entirely different from any other way of life that you will find anywhere. No one else tells you to do the things that Jesus tells you to do. Even more fundamentally wonderful is the fatherhood and empowerment of God and the, the delivery of the Holy Spirit that He has poured out and the change of life that's what it's going to look like because you're with God. If you're with Him. You know, there are so many people who make the mistake of having kind of an empty prayer life and an empty spiritual where they don't spend very much time with the Father. Why? Because the Father's dangerous. Or the Father's boring. Or the Father's scary. He's better than the very best person you know. And if you want to become like the best person you know, who is Jesus, then you spend time with His Father. He will lead you there. By the way, when I say He's better than the best person you know, I didn't have Jesus in mind. I met a human being. Well, Jesus is a human being. I've wandered into theological heresy right here at the end of my sermon. How does this happen? No, he, he is better than the best of your friends with the exception of Jesus, who He is just like. Come and be with that God. He will change you heart and soul. How are you doing? How's your obedience? Are you actually loving your enemies? Do you know that you can? Are you forgiving every, every wound that you take? Are you letting go of it? Do you know that you can? No, you can't. But He can. And He can inside of you. So come ask. Seek after it. Knock on His door. He's a good dad. And He wants to save you. Isn't that great? If you're looking at yourself this morning, you don't see the fruit of the Spirit. You don't see the righteousness that only the Father can give. Well then, let us pray with you. Maybe you need to be led into His presence and we will be happy to do that. And if you look into your heart this morning, you got pains in there. It's got nothing to do with what we've talked about this morning, but it's a heavy burden on you and you want the care and the ministry of the church. Let us do that. We're a praying church. We want to help you. And if you're not following Jesus yet, there's no better way of life than following Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the best. No one is better. Come with us as we follow after Him. If this morning you're subject to the Gospel of Jesus, to the call of Jesus Christ, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing.